We're talking about creation in our series, The Timeless Testaments, Genesis chapter 1. And if I have a title just for this sermon, I'm going to call it The God Who Lets, L-E-T-S, The God Who Lets. Mankind, since the very beginning, has always asked some serious questions about our existence. Psalms chapter 8, verse 4 says, What are humans that you are mindful of them? The same question is asked by every man and woman at some point in their life. It's something innate to us to search for answers, to say things and ask things like, Where do we come from? And why are we here? And is there a God? And does He have a purpose for us? And the book of Genesis is given to help answer some of these questions. It is an ancient text. So it's written from an ancient perspective, and it is written from the perspective of Earth's viewpoint of creation. And it is historical truth. It is a narrative, uh, and it has some poetics uh, inside of it, the way it's written as a prose. But it is truth. It is the holy word of God. And just as I believe Jesus Christ came to Earth and rose from the dead, and that's what the Gospels tell us, and that is true, I believe Genesis chapter 1 is true. And so, but we see something here. It's not a scientific textbook, but it is here to help answer the question, not how or when, but why, who, and for what purpose. So Genesis is not a scientific textbook. It is an ancient piece of literature written by Moses through the Spirit of God, and it is intended to tell us something, not about all the details of science, but is intended to tell us the question of why. The whole world is asking the question of how, but few people are asking the questions why. And Genesis is all about why, okay? Look with me in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm just going to skip through some things and you can just follow along with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving. The Greek there is hovering over the surface of the water. Excuse me, the Hebrew there is hovering over over the source, surface of the waters. And Moses' seed sees this universe created by God. How? We don't know. But he says there was the universe, the heavens, all that was created was created. And he zooms in and he sees and he focuses in on this earth, this void, uh, water-covered, no-atmosphere kind of earth. The whole atmosphere had not been created. It was all vapor. It was all water. And God finds some interest in this planet. And so Moses sees God zoom in, and then we have day one. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness, and God called the light day. And the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So in this kind of poetic repetition, even though this is historical truth, Moses begins to break it out. And he, uh, through the Spirit, he writes that in the beginning, there was, and he says there, that God said, there has begun the spoken word of God. It's called the Logos, the spoken word of God. Speaks something and it says, let. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let there be seas. Let the earth and the water separate. And over and over again, he says, let there be. The word of God begins to say, let there be and let there be. And then God creates it. He forms it. It, it. it says He comes, every animal comes following its own kind. So you can think of that as a, a family tree, much like we have uh, dogs today that we see. We know that all the dogs came from a wolf. And so every kind began, God put every kind on the earth. 
And Moses sees it, and God's, he says, and God saw it, and he said it was good. That word good there means please. It pleased God. And in that moment, all of nature began to declare the goodness of God, and God began to declare the goodness of it. And there's this beautiful harmony and symmetry, and it was pleasing unto the Lord. Day one, light is separated from darkness. Day two, the atmosphere of the earth begins to separate and God pulls the sea to the bottom and the sky to above. And day three, he separates the water and the dry land and vegetation sprouts up. And day four, the sun and the moon and the stars, they were created in verse one, but now they're visible to to Moses' perspective on earth. And then he goes on, day five, fish and birds come out of each after their kind. Day six, mammals and beasts and bugs and creepy things, all those things that we love, right? Each come after their kind. And so Moses begins to see the descendants of all these animals come after themselves. And then we have day six. Look with me in verse 26. And then God said, the same formula again, let us... Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle of all the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. Note that. God blessed them. And then God said to them. Note that as well. First, thing that God speaks to individuals. He says, God doesn't speak to the animals, but God begins to speak to man. And God speaks to man. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, roll over the fish of the sea, over the birds in the sky, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And verse 31, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, he sums it up, while everything was good before, he says, and it was very good. And there was evening and morning, sixth day. Can we prove Genesis is true? Can you prove there is a God? Is there a purpose for my life? Why are we here? You know, science uh, and Christianity have been at odds in the last uh, several hundred years, even, uh, more recently, mostly decades. Uh, but that wasn't always the case. If you go back to 1900 and prior to 1900, you would see uh, most scientists, many scientists, would have been good churchgoers. Uh, even Isaac Newton, you know, the guy who discovers gravity, which we all knew gravity was there because we all fell before, right? But he discovered the math of it. Uh, Even he, if you look at his journals, uh, filled with apologetics and praise to God the Creator. These very beginning scientists began to were worshipers of God. But, you know, today we look and we see the Industrial Revolution, the modernization of science, and we see that science is basically separated from faith, and we see this great divide. You know, as I was growing up, there was always that tension of evolution, the tension of the Big Bang, and uh, whether or not we could be a Christian and believe in all these things. Uh, That wasn't always the case. And many today are asking, looking at nature, and they're asking anything they can find uh, to attempt to disprove God. They ask the how questions. How did we come about? How did we get here? How long did it take? But the how can never answer the question, why? How can never soothe a grieving mother? How doesn't do that. It's the why. How is never going to take a suicidal teenager and give them hope? Uh, how is never going to take a loveless spouse and find true love in, inside of God and inside of themselves? Uh, how is never going to heal the wounds of an unwanted child? And how will never give peace to a war-torn earth? It's the question, why? 
And God knew before we ever asked the question, he knew the answer we all needed. That was the answer to the question, why? You ever feel like sometimes you go to God and you're asking the wrong questions, right? From the very beginning, God already gave the answers we needed. might not be the answer sometimes you always want, but how will not answer why? Let me tell you this. If there is no why, if you cannot answer the question why, your life has no purpose. If you can't answer the question why, there is no purpose. And if there's no purpose, there is no point. And if there's no point, there's no reason for law. There is no reason for moral uh, uh, governance. There's no reason for law or love or even life itself if you cannot answer the question why. And if you want to look at the status of the world today and why we see the... uh, falling apart of civilization as itself, why we see the tearing away of everything that we we hold dear and all the moral relativism coming in, it's because they're all seeking to ask the question, how? How did this come about? But how will never give you the answers that really will change what's broken inside of us? That's the question of why. Are you with me this morning? Somebody say amen. amen. How? But let me talk about how for a moment. Let's talk about how for a moment. I want to use common scientific theory. I just want you to talk, talk to us about how for a moment. Science is limited to the study of the natural world, but even science reveals a universe that was unique, a planet that is unique to give life in this very room. That The science is saying that we are perfectly balanced for the creation of life here on earth. And modern astronomy, even though it hopes for a godless evolution, an eternal universe that had no beginning and no end, and it was made by millions and millions of random chances, science is all pointed to one thing. And let's talk about that just for a moment. Are we a part of an old universe with no beginning or end? Are we made by random chance, and is it through the process of evolution? In the early 1900s, the very Big Bang Theory came about through the help of uh, Hubble and Albert Einstein. And while there was much contention about it, it actually was contention from the very beginning uh, from people who didn't want the Big Bang. They were atheists. And the Big Bang, because why? Before the, uh, the common science had said that the universe was old, it was infinite, and it had no creator. It had no beginning and no end, and it was ancient. But when the Big Bang Theory comes in the early 1900s, it proves mathematically through Einstein's theory of relativity, it proves that the beginning, there was a beginning to the universe, there was an end to the universe, and it was relatively young, much younger than science had ever thought possible the universe to be young. So let's follow this a little bit. So the universe, according to science today, has a beginning and has an end, and it had to be created according to science today. Even the most recent scientists uh, have discovered through the study of black holes that space and time slow down near a black hole. You know what that means to me? It means that there is something beyond our current knowledge of space and time. That we don't even fully understand it, that there is a place beyond space and there's a place beyond time. So that's the Big Bang, that's science. But let's look at the evolutionary tree. For evolution and the theories to be true, uh, studies would say they would need billions, even trillions of years for macroevolution. That macro means the larger study. The broad study, the, the change between species that a, a cat can go to a dog and vice versa, and a human can come from a mate, that would take trillions and trillions of years. But science itself has stated that the oldest stars in our galaxy are less than 13.4 billion years old, if you believe that to be true. But let's just say that it is. If the stars in our galaxy are 13.4 billion years, and you say, well, that's a lot, a lot of time, Pastor Heath. But let's go a little further. The stars in our, or the solar system, our planets, even our Earth, it, it, science has said is only 4.6 billion years old. 
as opposed to trillions and trillions and trillions needed for evolution to change, if it could even change. So 4.6 billion years old proves this this huge gap in evolutionary theory. And it basically, uh, we look at this and we say that this is far too young for evolution, even random chance to form cellular life. Not only is it far too young to form cellular life, it's far too young to successfully evolve into a diverse plant and animal kingdoms. Think about the flowers in the field and how uh, everything works in uh, symmetry. Everything, the rain, it rains, it grows the, uh, the plants and the flowers, the bees pollinate it, the bees go, they make the honey, the bears eat the honey, and the bears die. And this whole beautiful cycle all happened in just a few billion years by random chance, impossible. Even by their own standards, impossible. Not only that, but you can look at the global ecosystems of how everything begins to work together. Every environment from South America to North America to Canada to Africa to Asia, every single environment has a perfectly working ecosystem. By random chance? If you look beyond that, the perfect symbiotic nature of every ecosystem alone is evidence of design. Not only this, but if you look at the fossil records, few fossils, if any, show clear evidence of major evolution. In fact, the fossil record even shows overwhelmingly huge jumps and gaps as if day one, day two, day three. Huge jumps of whole complete systems of beings, whole complete ecosystems jump in the fossil record and then we don't see them again and we see another jump and another jump as if it had to have some kind of divine assistance. No gradual change. Even the geological and fossil records worldwide show clear evidence of a global flood, as Genesis describes. Let's go even further. You've got a video on the screen. 1991, an astronomer named Hugh Ross said that there were over 24 paradigms, 24 things, over 24 things that would have had to happen in perfect symmetry and perfection for life to exist here. Let me give you a few. For you to listen here today, get this. Number one, there had to be a perfect universe. It had to, this universe that was perfect, it had to exist with the perfect rate of expansion, meaning it had to expand at a certain rate. If it expanded too quickly, uh, it would never have formed the planets and uh, the stars needed to form galaxies. And if it, had form, if it had expanded too slowly, it would have collapsed upon itself and been too dense, science says. Not only that, this perfectly expanding universe had to have the perfect gravity. The gravity within this perfect universe couldn't be too strong or too weak. That gravity had to be at the exact right amount mathematically. Who put that in there, by the way? It had to be the exact right gravity. and Otherwise, it wouldn't have produced the stars that would attract the metals and the gases needed for life. Within this perfect universe now, with this perfect expansion rate and with this perfect gravity, there had to be one perfect galaxy among millions and trillions. One perfect galaxy. And in this galaxy... It had to have one right type, one size, and one distance between the stars. This galaxy had to have stars at the right size, type, and distance apart, around 30 trillion miles. If these stars in this one perfect galaxy within this one perfect universe had been any closer, the stars would have destabilized the planets, and planets would have never formed. And within that perfect universe, with the perfect expansion rate, and with the perfect, uh, with the perfect gravity, and with that perfect planet uh, stars distance in that perfect galaxy if all those then align then we move on and so there must be then a star within this perfect galaxy within this perfect universe to have the perfect conditions and this one star in this galaxy in this perfect universe has to have this 
our son. It must have the right elements. It must have the exact stable life cycle. It must have a perfect mass, and it must have a unique, specific luminosity. Otherwise, also, it couldn't be too old or too young. And for life to exist on this planet at the right age of our son, God or something had to have made life at the exact right moment. If, the, if life had occurred and appeared when our son was too young, it wouldn't have worked. And if life had occurred or appeared when our son was too old, it wouldn't have worked. So in the right moment, at the right size and shape and luminosity, in the right galaxy, in the right universe, with the right planetary alignments, and with the right distance between stars, and with the right gravity, there must then, let's go on, because this gets better. Uh, there must be near this perfect star a perfect planet. And this planet must be perfectly aligned. It must have the right distance from the star. It must have the right gases. It must have the right water vapor, surface temperature, rotation speed, axis tilt, thickness of its crust, seismic activity, and age. Moreover, within this perfect universe, in the galaxy and star and planet, and if you get all of those and you have that perfect planet with all of those things, which, by the way, none of modern science has been able to find one earth like ours. Nothing comes close to our earth, despite what you see on here on the news. Nothing comes close to our earth. And even if you did find one, it also has to have the perfect solar system. Did you know this? That for this planet to have life, it must have larger planets further out in its orbit further out in its solar system, like our Jupiter and like our Saturn. If we didn't have a Jupiter or a Saturn, all the space debris uh, would come into our Earth and almost catastrophically destroy us. Jupiter and Saturn then take all these large asteroids that would destroy our moon or destroy our Earth. And so for life to exist in this planet, you've got to have the perfect planet with the perfect solar system, within the perfect sun, within the perfect galaxy, within the perfect universe. Going with me so far? And so here we move on. If you think that's enough, let's keep going. So after you get the perfect planet from the perfect sun and the galaxy and universe, finally within all these things, and it has the perfect size of planets in its solar system, you find that this planet must have the perfect moon. This moon must be like in our, another, uh, unlike any other moon, as in that our moon is extremely large in relative to our Earth. No other planet really has the ratio that our planet has to its moon, and there's a reason for it, because our moon and its size is required not only for light at night, but the gravity of our moon begins to pool and clean the coastal seawaters, which aid in the development of life and the creation of our weather and keep the earth fresh and moving forward. So within all of these things combined... Ross, this astronomer who was an atheist who then, knowing this, converted to Christianity... By the way, he says, if all of these variables had aligned, even in a trillion galaxies, wrap your head around the number, a trillion galaxies, and if each trillion galaxy had a hundred billion stars, so we're talking about a hundred billion trillion, even if all of those were there, not even one planet mathematically would be expected by natural process alone to possess the conditions to sustain life. Is there a God? And let's just go even further while we're in the, in the mode, right? Let's say all that it did align on one planet of 100 trillion billion did mathematically work out to have all of that by random chance. Science has never, with our knowledge and understanding, been able to make life 
from nothing. Science can't do that. There's no evidence of that, even in the world today. We don't randomly see life popping up at random places out of nothing anymore. Because there was a God who had to say, let there be. Let there be. What kind of faith do you need to believe in God? And what kind of faith do you have to have to believe that God did not create the universe? It takes more faith to believe that God did not create the universe than it does to have faith that God divinely designed and created and say, let there be. Science still, though, cannot answer these questions, and men struggle with it. And Hebrews 11.3 says it this way, that it is by faith we still yet, knowing all these things, have to understand the universe was formed at God's command. Science cannot answer the why, and because, answer the how, and because of that, faith will always be required for man to believe in God. Let's talk about that let there be just for, let's go back to Scripture. Now we've talked about science, and we've kind of seen what, they have to offer, and even in their own theories, it doesn't make any sense. If you believe all those billions of years required for the earth and, and all that, even in their own theories, it, it requires an immense amount of faith. But let's look at Scripture again. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 again. And God said, let there be. Colossians 1 tells us that it's by God all things were made and created, and thus whatever exists owes its existence to God. God becomes the source of all things. And what we learn from science and we learn from Scripture is that nothing is self-sufficient. Nothing in this world, including you and including me, and this is important for you to get this morning, you and I, just like the universe that's here, it is not self-sufficient. It is not meant to be alone. It was not made without any purpose or any life or design in mind. Everything uh, was permitted by God. In fact, if you look at the words in Genesis, you look at that word let, over 15 times Genesis uses the word let. What does that mean? The word let means to permit or to cause or to make. That God permitted it to be so. God made it so. God created it so. And in fact, when he says let, uh, it, it is referring us back to John chapter 1 where John says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and was with God. And it was through the word of God that all things came to existence. And that word, when he says word of God, is that logos. That means that John describes that as Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, the one from the beginning. And from the beginning, God uses Jesus, the word of God, and speaks life into everything. And he says, let there be. So very important to grasp onto those words this morning, because this is what I want to uh, bring home and leave you with, this idea of let there be. That when God said let there be, it caused something. And it was good, it was pleasing to God, and it did not return void. In fact, whatever was void was made into good. And Psalms 19 says when God began to do that, that nature began to declare the glory of God and all of the things that God had made began to exalt His name and had this great communion with God eternal. Nature began to sing the praise of God. You know, uh, getting ready for deer season and getting our, uh, I got my deer stand out uh, up and ready the other day and food plot and got up and uh, I really don't care anything about killing deer. I really just like being out in nature. Uh, and as I was up there, I just began to sit and just watch the birds and listen. I'm like, man, I miss this. You know, if you go to a, a, a waterfall, you go see a rainbow, you go to the mountains, doesn't it just take your breath away and you say, there's something about this. 
What is it? There's something, the birds are singing, the nature is working in harmony. Why? Because all of nature is declaring, I have a God who loves me. I have a God who made me. There is a God up in heaven and I am evidence of it. You can't go anywhere in this world. You go out to your front yard, you look at the grass. Isn't it weird we can put man on the moon, but we can't make grass that grows three inches and stays there? That's just putting that out there in case somebody listens online who's smart. But we look out there and we see the bees and the flowers and all this stuff working together and the rain and, and you watch the clouds and this, you know, I brought our, my telescope and, and uh, last night I just uh, began to go out and look at Saturn and, and the moon and just to declare the wonder. If you go out on a, a, a dark Louisiana night and go out into the middle of nowhere, you can see the Milky Way, uh, that, that wonder of God. It's just there, and it's all, the Bible says that it's all singing the song that my God loves me. Because when he said God saw it was good, it means it was pleasing him, that this pleases me. And the interesting thing is it wasn't just nature, because he went from let, let there be, and he moved on to something else. He said, let us. This is very important this morning. He says, let us. What does he say? He says, let us make man in our image. Who's us? Who's our? God eternal, more infinite, more uh, overwhelming than our little brains can imagine. This word Elohim in Scripture is a plural definition of one God. And what that means, uh, basically, is we're limited by our English language, that we find that the Spirit of God was hovering over the source of uh, the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God uh, was mothering over earth. And we find God, and then we see God through John chapter 1, that the Word of God, the Logos, uh, began to create through God. And all of God Himself, being one God, was plural in perfect harmony. That within Himself, there was complete fellowship, there was love, there was relationship, there was unity, there was family. And God revealing this about Himself to us, He says something very unique. He says, let us, speaking plurally to Himself, one God, plural in in form. He says, let us make man in our image. He's not talking to the angels there. We can go into those proof texts for that very clearly. Not talking to the angels. Uh, The Bible says in Isaiah that God didn't counsel with the angels to make the world. And so he says, let us make man in our image. And so what he's saying there in this moment, he's saying there's something different I want to do now. At the climax of creation, I want to involve someone in the relationship I have within myself. I want to, while nature is harmonizing and singing and God eternal is there, he's wanting to say, I want to bring someone else into this cool thing I got going on. I want someone else to join in perfect harmony and perfect love and perfect fellowship with us, with me. And I'm going to invite someone else into this spiritual process. And he says, let us make man. And man is made at the climax of creation. And at the end of making man, God says something very unique. He says, and I step back and I look and it was not just good. It was very good. In that moment, you and I joined in spiritual harmony with God. Man itself began to join in deep communion and God doing something different than he did with the animals. It says that he blessed them and he spoke to them. He began to have communion with them. And so as there was this let there be, then there was the let us. And we invited, God invited man into his deep spiritual communion within himself. But then there was this big letdown. We're going to get into more of this next week with the fall. 
This big letdown was the moment that we chose to decide that we were God alone and we could be just like God and we tried to exalt ourselves beyond this place of spiritual harmony. And we began to, while all nature was singing the glory of God, we turned and we tried to worship ourselves. And in that moment, instead of being God-made, we became man-made. We became self-sufficient. We became uh, self-designed. We began to sing our own praises. And all of nature began to be terrorized at us. The earth began to quake and the birds began to flock away from us and the animals began to run away from us. And all of nature knew you and I were cursed. And that blessing of God that He spoke blessing over us had then turned to a curse. And that unique fellowship we had with God brought into the symmetry of who He was had been broken and we were cast out. And since then, man has been searching for answers. Why? Because he's lost. Why do we ask all these questions? How? What am I supposed to do with my life, God? Where do we come from? Are you real? Are you there? Evidence alone that mankind is lost and separated from his unique purpose and design in God. There's this great phrase, so we're talking about let and let us and the let down. It's a great phrase we've heard and we say it a lot in the Bible Belt. It's called let go and what? Let God. Let go and let God. It's a popular Christian phrase, but what does it really mean? We like to be our own master, but God alone is the God who lets. The world exists because God let it. And Job asked the question, and God responded, and God said what? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I love that. Where do you think you are? Where were you when I did all that? Where do you? I mean, even Isaiah writes about Israel, and he says... Who are you, the clay, to say to the potter, why did you make me? What did you do? Why are you doing this? What are you doing? Only God is sovereign. Only God is good. And and originally, you and I were made very good to please the Creator, to be in spiritual, privileged communion with Him, but we lost it. And get this. The only way to get that back is to let... The Word of God, the Logos, recreates you again. The only way to get it back is to let the Word of God speak into your heart again, recreate you, and make you born again. And what is so awesome is that we look back into God eternal. In that moment, the glory of God, the Spirit hovering, the Word of God speaking, God the Father looking and and saying it is good. And all of the symmetry of God and who He is and His oneness and His eternal glory uh, began to work. And we were a part of that. But we were lost and we lost it. And then that Word of God, what does John say? That Word of God stepped out of that eternal glory. The Word of God stepped out of that spiritual harmony. The Word of God was willing to break from that fellowship and pursue us in the Word of God. The same Word of God that created you the first time stepped down and the Word of God became flesh. And He dwelt among us. You see, when we were broken and lost and we were the big letdown and God had created us and said, let us make man in our image, He was willing that Word of God came and He said, let me pursue them. And the Word of God stepped down. And if you're willing today, the Word of God can still speak life into you. He spoke truth on that earth. He lit up our dark and formless hearts and shone His light inside of us. In that moment, God 
the glory of God, the Logos, the, the one who in the glory of God created the world, that same glory, John says, was revealed in grace and truth. And we beheld his image, one is full of the glory of God. We saw him again. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's the good news. And Jesus, before he died, you know what he prayed in John 17, 11? Father, that they may be one even as we are. What he was trying to do and what God has been trying to do with you and I from the very beginning is get us back to the garden and say that spiritual communion that I had, that we were together, us, one together, you were in harmony with me, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, we would be together as one. And Jesus says, God, that's why I came And I'm praying, God, that they would see your glory once again. God, I pray that in their void, in their formless hearts, like I spoke light into existence in the formless and void world, God, I want to speak light into their hearts in the formless and void of their hearts. God, that they would come back and get to that place where we are together again. That's your story. That's my story. Now tell me, do you feel loved by God? Is there a God... Does he have a purpose for you today? And let me tell you, if you let God's word speak again in you, it will not return void. We can look at the wind and the waves today. We can see the chaos of the world and we can begin to shout at the wind and the waves. We can cry out to God, why me? Why me? God, can you be there? But there's only one person who can step down out of eternity and calm the waves and say, peace be still. Because of his spoken word. And the whole universe declares today that God has a purpose for you. God's purpose for you was never suffering. It was loving fellowship. And Genesis shows us this creator who's patient and loving and true. And he's carefully crafted each detail of his creation. And even if science is true that God in eternity past created billions and billions of years, you know what that means to me? Even if that's true. He waited billions and billions of years of eternity to be with you. That's how much He loves you. That's His purpose for you. And maybe today there's storms in your life. Maybe today there's chaos in your life. Maybe today there's things wrapping around your brain. You're asking all these questions. I want to ask you today, will you let God be God in you? You're not made to function alone. You're made to let God be God. There's questions you're never going to answer. There's things you're never going to know. There's things you may not ever have. But God can be God in you if you let him again. Let the word of God speak into your heart again. Let him illuminate you again. Let him recreate you again. Whether you're getting saved for the first time or you've been a Christian for 50 years, are you letting God be God? Are you releasing control? Are you just sitting back in an amazement of his wonder and his beauty? Are you all the questions and the concerns and the affairs of life. Jesus was just coming to earth and he said, guys, just let the kingdom of heaven come down. Pray God's will be done. Seek first the Father. That's the communion. That's the answer to the question why. God loves you as a plan for you. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come back. Hallelujah, Lord God. Let's just take a moment. Let's just begin to, in our own ways, would you just ask God to just make yourself real in this moment? You know, without all the science in the world and all the evidence of Scripture in the world, it doesn't do anything on its own. It needs the Spirit of God. 
And today we want the Spirit of God to become real to you in this place. I can't reach you by reason. I can't reach you by knowledge. I can't amaze you with facts of technology. And I can't even uh, explain the Scriptures to you good enough for you to believe and to know and to feel and to have the answer to the question why. It's the Spirit of God has got to be real to you. And Jesus is proof enough that God is willing to come back and meet you where you are. He's willing to speak into your void heart. He's speaking into the darkest places of your mind. He's speaking to those worries, those concerns, those cares, those affairs. And He's saying, would you just let me be God? Father, we love You. I thank You, God, that You are God eternal. You are Elohim. You are God who let us become. You are God who led us into fellowship with You. You are God who pursued us. The Logos, the Word of God, who spoke into our hearts, who revealed grace and truth of the Father, who loved us even to die on a cross, that we might be one with You again. And Father, I pray today, God, whether we have been a Christian one week, one month, 50 years, God, if we are struggling, if we feel alone, if we feel isolated, we feel like we don't have a purpose, God, no doubt in this room there are those who have been feeling abandoned. They haven't felt your presence in a while. Christianity has just been some religion, some church attendance. But there hasn't been a deep communion with you a deep fellowship with you, a a love that they sense, a joy that they sense, that no matter what shakes around them, no no matter what is dark and formless around them, God, that you are light within them. You are peace within them. You are hope within them. You are love within them. That you are still God. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, that's me. I just need prayer today. I'm not going to embarrass you or, or do anything. You just say, I just, I've been feeling alone. I've been feeling isolated. I've been feeling let down. I've been feeling distant. Maybe you've just been feeling overwhelmed. And maybe there, or maybe there are situations in your life that you've been really trying to control and fix and figure out. I think the Word of God today is just to remind you that God's God. Let Him be God. And you say, Pastor, that's for me. I just want to receive that. You just raise your hand, and I'm just going to pray over you today. Many hands, many hands, many hands. Man, it's something we all struggle with, isn't it? Just letting God be God. Just glorying in who He is. Just knowing Him. We just want to rest in His peace today. Marvel in His wonder and exalt His name. Father, I pray over every person this morning who lifted a hand. Holy Spirit, I pray peace. I pray surrendered hearts. Father, we give up worry, we give up anxiety. God, we give up all these things of control, these false illusions that we have something to give you, these false illusions, God, that say we're good enough, that we're self-made, we're good on our own. God, we can do this. We got grit. God, we got power. God, we would just surrender and say, God, you are God alone. You are God alone. We are the clay and you are the potter. And you are magnificent. You are holy. And what we learn today, God, is that you are a God who loves us, who has purpose. There is design. There's a reason. And God, you call us very good. You want to call us very good as you begin to recreate our hearts. And Father, I pray today for those who do not know you. 
God, I pray they would find that intimate relationship. God, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. Come into our heart. Remake us. Renew our mind. Renew our heart. Make us born again, alive with Christ. May the Spirit of God come in us. May you wash away our sin. Wash away our our control and our need to be God. And we just humbly surrender and begin to be worshipers of the great, the almighty God. We're going to do something next. This is just a way to make this sermon really come into our hearts. And that's just to take a moment where we would go back to how nature was. And nature just declares the glory of God. And we want to be a part of that. That my life, my lips, my heart, my mind, just declare the wonders of God. Would you stand with me for a moment? I'm going to ask the worship team to sing this. And let's be very good in God's eyes. Let's be pleasing to God and be some of His creation. He says, we are those who let God be God. Would you worship Him with us today before we go? Hallelujah. Let's sing this together.